From the Carlson Law Firm, welcome to Season 2 of The Verdict, a podcast about how personal injury law shapes the real lives of average Americans. I'm your host, Keisha Conway. My name is Katherine Knotts. I'm a partner here with the Carlson Law Firm, and I manage our Bryan College Station office. Okay, and Catherine, today we are going to be talking about premises liability. So can we just kick this off with you explaining premises liability as it pertains to slip and falls? Okay, specifically with slip and falls, when we are looking at what we would call a premises liability case, we are looking at conditions that occur on a property that should have been repaired or should have been corrected or warned about, and it ultimately results in somebody becoming injured on the property. What type of conditions lead to a slip and fall? There's a lot of different conditions. You have some that are business owner created conditions. An example is if an employee is mopping the floor of the store and doesn't put out proper signage. Other conditions that can be created if a store has a freezer equipment that leaks, but also things like a sprinkler system that goes out at random times of the day and in the winter the company doesn't change the sprinkler system and it results in creating an ice formation because of the cold weather and they created the condition with that. Where we also have them is when there is uh, conditions that maybe at one time were not dangerous conditions but have become that due to uh, disrepair and not proper maintenance. Okay, so in situations where say there's like a leaky freezer, what if the company doesn't know? That's actually a really good question because unfortunately, most people have this general concept and belief that I fell on your property, therefore you are responsible. And that's actually not the case law in Texas. In Texas, the law reads that I have to show that the condition was an unreasonably dangerous condition that the business owner knew about or should have known about. Now, known about is a condition where they created the condition or we have documented proof that they were made aware of the condition. When we get into that category of should have known, then it gets into more factually specific of how long was that condition there? Can we establish that it's been there for a long time? So an example in a crumbling sidewalk scenario, obviously that doesn't occur overnight. So we can establish based on the condition of it, something that occurred in a lengthy period of time. The more challenging ones and difficult cases to ever establish and prove is when what we call uh, water on a floor from an unknown source. Uh, The hardest example I can give is you slip and fall on water in the flower aisle at a grocery store. There's nothing that would have come from a shelf that would have created that. There's nothing that would have been leaking that would have caused from it unless I can see that there's a leaking roof, the likely result of that was that either a customer or someone spilled it. And absent independent evidence or other evidence that can indicate how long that's been there, we we do struggle with the challenge of establishing that the business owner should have known about it. So what types of injuries do people come to you after they have experienced a slip and fall with? Slip and falls, uh, what the typical injuries I see most of mostly from these falls uh, are two different mechanisms. You have a lot of knee injuries because if it's a trip and fall, they tend to fall forward and use their hands and their knees that catch themselves and that takes the brunt of the force. So we'll see wrist injuries, arm injuries, knee and ankle injuries. When it is a slip and they fall backwards, a lot of times we deal with a low back or back and neck problems because they hit very, very hard on their backside. 
How do slip and fall cases differ from other types of personal injury cases? There are several different ways a slip and fall case will differ from another personal injury case like an auto collision. In auto collision cases, we have the Texas Transportation Code that sets out the rules of the road that establish what drivers must do. When I'm doing a premises liability case, particularly slip and falls, I'm oftentimes not looking at a statute that outlines the responsibility, but common law. I'm looking at, based on the facts of the case and the facts of the situation, what meets industry standards or reasonable expectations of what a business would do from the public's perception. Because oftentimes I'm not dealing with a statutory provision, I can't say you didn't do X, Y, Z, therefore you are responsible. It is left up to the purview of the jury and the decision maker to decide, did what the business owner failed to do or do, did it fall below the standard of what other businesses would have done? Did they breach their duty to the public? In the event of a slip and fall or a trip and fall, who can be held responsible? We hear about people suing homeowners because of broken steps. What types of businesses can be held responsible for this type of negligence? Both business owners, but as well as homeowners can be held responsible. You gave the example of somebody falling at someone's home on a broken step. As a homeowner, you have responsibilities to keep your property safe for guests also. So we do have scenarios where we will have to sue a homeowner in order to get to the homeowner's insurance policy. When we're looking at businesses, when I have a a client who falls in a store, depending on the nature of the facts of the case, if it is a water on the floor situation, I'm typically only going to be looking at the business owner. But in situations like water on the floor from it being mopped, there may be a third-party company that is a contracted company for the business. An example might be Kroger or HEB may hire a flooring company to come in and do their their nightly mopping and polishing of the floors. There might be a third-party company who's also responsible. But when I'm dealing with a condition on a property that is more of a structural issue, a crumbling step, or a sidewalk that's uneven. Those are scenarios where I'm not only looking at the business owner, but I'm looking at the physical property owner also. Because as the plaintiff, I, without seeing the contract between the business owner and the property owner, I may not know whose responsibility that falls to. So when we file the lawsuit, we may have to sue both business owner and building owner. And later we may identify one of them is no longer the proper defendant. But as a plaintiff, we never want to get into the course of a lawsuit and not have all of the potential responsible parties involved. Okay, so for your example of the sidewalk, isn't that typically like a city issue? or The sidewalk, it depends on your city, and that's where you do have to look to some statutes. You have to look to building code provisions. Uh, some city charters will establish in their, their city charter and their city codes that the the sidewalk in front of a business is the building and business owner's responsibility um, because it is the ingress and egress for their business. Okay. I actually have that case. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So how are these cases valued? In other words, how can a client know that they can pursue a claim? My general answer to anyone who has had a fall at a business, you want to get an attorney involved in the case early on. The longer you wait to get an attorney involved, information goes missing. Not for intentional reasons, but just under standard business practices. An example, if you fall in a grocery store that has surveillance video and you wait six months to go talk to your attorney 
At that point, it is highly unlikely that that video may still exist. Standard businesses practices vary, but videos can be recorded over. Some businesses, it's two weeks. Some businesses, it's 30 days. The longer you wait, the less likely we can take the necessary measures to secure that video. Now, one question that always comes up when I do represent people, they want to know, well, get the video and it'll show. General rule, most businesses will not produce that video to me until I have filed a lawsuit. Now, in my experience, if I sit, there's a letter I send at the very beginning of the case that preserves the video, tells them they can't destroy the video. If the video is really bad for them, we're going to most likely get your case settled before a lawsuit's filed. If the video is very good for them, they'll promptly deny it or gladly give me the video and let me see how bad it is for my client. Or if it's a neutral video, then we may have to file a lawsuit to get that information to be able to see it. But in going back to your original question, when should you get an attorney involved? My recommendation, just based on my experience from the get-go, when you're dealing with a company who has people in departments that their sole job and responsibility is to protect the company's interest. They may be friendly to you. They may be polite with you. They want your business. They want you to continue shopping there. That doesn't mean they're going to treat you fairly when it comes to the end of the claim. They're out to protect their company's financial interest. You want somebody on your side. All right, so let's kind of shift gears here and talk about a client. Do you have any cases that come to mind? Uh, one that I can think of that I'm currently working on is my client, Cassie Cavanaugh. Uh, Ms. Cavanaugh is a, works in the medical professional. Uh, she is, she fell at a local convenience store here in town due to some floors that were mopped and improper signage was placed out. Okay. Um, and can you tell us what happened? Ms. Cavanaugh was coming to work here in Bryan College Station. She lived in the Houston area. She took her normal route to work. Um, as part of her normal daily routine, she stopped at the local Stripes convenience store on Earl Rudder Freeway, stopped to get a drink and go to the restroom. As she entered into the store, she walked towards the restrooms and walked into the door doorway of the restrooms. As she rounded the corner to go to the stalls, she um, rounded the corner, went in, used the restroom, came out and walked closer to the right side of the wall and slipped on water that was on the floor. She slipped and fell hard on her side, um, hitting her head kind of on the edge of the wall, trying to catch herself. She, when she was able to get up, she went to the doorway to kind of call out for somebody and she, we, she was able to identify that the floor had been mopped by an employee who had not put out signage. Now there was signage, but it was located in front of the men's restroom um, and it was three cones that a chain connected to it, and they were bunched together in front of the men's. Because Ms. Cavanaugh was concerned that another customer might come through and fall before she could get something dealt with, she moved the cones over and called over the employee. The employee acknowledged that the uh, cones had not been moved. So moving the cones after that happened, is that something that you would recommend? No. It was a good thing to do as a person. Mm-hmm. It has created a challenge in her case because the management has tried to argue that the signage was there before she fell. Um, one of the challenges in this case is that there has um, the video is no longer available and has not been able to be identified because the company has sold sold to new business owners multiple times. The only photographic evidence we have is a photograph that the manager took 
after he was notified of the incident, which of course was taken after Ms. Cavanaugh had moved the cones. Ms. Cavanaugh, in hindsight, wishes she had not done so because it has created a defense that the argument, uh, an argument that the defense continues to try to state that the cones were moved, be, the cones were in place when she fell. So before or after, have there been other incidences at this location? That's an interesting question because oftentimes I do have to look at premises liability cases in an isolated circumstance where what happened in this individual incident. But in this case, we actually have represented another person who has been injured at that same stripes location dealing with a similar factual scenario where an employee mopped the floor and did not put proper signage out. Hmm. Can that possibly help your other case with Ms. Kavanaugh or how does if a judge will allow that information in which that is a contested issue that will go before the judge but if a judge allows that information in I think it would affect a jury's view of the defendant because we are not looking at a isolated moment but more of a practice within the company that is creating a repetitive scenario of dangerous conditions. I'm sorry, I interrupt. Can we go back to what happened with Ms. Cavanaugh after she moved her cones? After she moved the cones, the manager filled out an incident report with her, and there was an employee who Ms. Cavanaugh has testified, uh, kept making eye contact with her and like, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to, and showed remorse for what happened to her, but of course was concerned for their job and did not want to come forth. Uh, the defense is uh, arguing on this case that there were cones placed out that warned of the condition. Our argument is that these cones were insufficient because they were located at a different restroom and not inside the women's restroom. There's some additional arguments that will be made throughout the case and that is going to be that at the time this employee was even mopping the, the restrooms was not at the optimal time for a 24-hour a 24-hour a day store to be mopping floors. I have sued other convenience stores and in suing them and taking depositions we've identified most 24-hour stores will conduct their mopping of restrooms things like that at non-peak hours. At the time, Miss Kavanaugh fell was on the tail end of rush uh, morning traffic. What are usually the peak hours? For it, it depends on the business, but in convenience stores, you're looking at particularly ones that are on in this case Highway Six, which is a business traveling area. Your peak hours tend to be morning, early evening, um, on a weekend, a lot during the afternoon. Mm -hmm. But for 24/7 convenience stores, middle of the night, there's not a lot of people in the store early hours of the morning. Um, I have sued countless numbers of other convenience stores where their time frame for when the store is mopped and when restrooms are mopped are when customers will not be walking through and tracking through the clean floors. There's also other methods that can be done. You can also, if you're going to have to mop during peak hours, cordon off sections of the store and do it in sections. So, for example, in this case, the restroom should have been completely cordoned off. And based on the cones that they had, I think that is likely what the company expected employees to do, but that is not what the employee did in this case. Does footwear matter? Footwear does not matter in a sense that if a business is allowing you to come in as a customer, meaning they have a sign that says, you know, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Yes, you have to have footwear. Type of footwear, uh, from a legal standpoint and factual standpoint, should not matter so long as you have appropriate footwear on. Now, 
for a practical matter. Tennis shoes that are non-slip are going to be great shoes and going to be less likely for you to have a slip and fall in from a personal perspective. A nurse who's wearing tennis shoes is going to have some type of grip on the bottom of them. Okay. Um, so in the case of Ms. Kavanaugh, what type of damages is she seeking? Um, Ms. Kavanaugh is seeking um, economic damages to cover the cost of her medical bills, uh, she is continuing to receive medical treatment, so she's go- and she's going to require medical treatment continuing on through her future. What types of injuries rise to the level of a lawsuit? As far as when people come to me following an injury, I don't necessarily draw a threshold of, oh, I won't meet with you and talk with you on le- any level of injury. But if you've had to seek medical treatment, I think you you need to definitely have an attorney involved. Now, whether or not we would be able to file a lawsuit on your behalf does have a lot to do with the, the actual value of your medical bills and the economic value. Uh, at the end of the day, I cannot in good conscience put a client through a lawsuit process if I know the cost for me to do that is going to exceed what I think a jury might award them. So if they only have a couple of hundred dollars worth of medical bills, I could not in good conscience put them through the course of a lawsuit knowing I'm going to spend several thousand dollars getting them to that point. For me to look at them and say, thanks for giving me all your time and you know going through a trial, you get nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we have clients who have you know significant injuries, ongoing treatment, uh, long-term future medical care, then those are the ones where we, we will absolutely file a lawsuit if we believe we can prove that there was an unreasonably dangerous condition. Okay. Is that the case with Ms. Kavanaugh? Ms. Ms. Kavanaugh, absolutely. Ms. Kavanaugh, it was definitely not a, I, I bumped my elbow and I'm okay. Ms. Kavanaugh has had significant amount of medical treatment and continues to need treatment today. And we're several years out from her, her fall. She is looking at a lifelong future of medical care and future surgeries. Have her injuries affected her employment? Yes, it has actually affected her employment. She um, she worked in nurse administration. Okay. So a lot of her job was computer work, which part of her injuries are dealing with her neck. Um, it caused her problems to be able to do her work. She was commuting from Houston to Bryan College Station because the job she had here in Bryan College Station paid paid very well. But because of her physical limitations, she's actually had to take jobs that pay less money so that she can work within her limitations. Is that something that a lawsuit can also address? Yes. Uh, part of our claims that we are asking a jury to compensate Ms. Kavanaugh for will be for lost wages, but also loss of earning capacity, which means due to her injuries, she will not be able to earn as much money as she would have had this injury not ever occurred. What do you recommend a person does if they are injured through a slip and fall? My first piece of advice, and this is what I wish I could tell the world, and that is don't assume you are okay. As adults, we hate when we fall in public. It's embarrassing. Mm -hmm. You know, when your three-year-old falls, they just bounce and get back up. But as an adult, we don't fall gracefully and we don't fall quietly and we definitely don't bounce back up. Because we're embarrassed, oftentimes I see people will come to me and say, I fell, but I was I, I was just so unnerved, I just left the store. And they never told anyone they fell. If you have fallen, even if you think that you're going to be okay, at minimum, report it to a manager, report it to an employee, and ask something to be a report to be made. So that if you do get home, and as the adrenaline comes down, 
and you begin to assess things and you identify that you do have an injury, you're not then later running into a battle of, well, we had no, no knowledge that this happened. Go ahead and at least report it after it happens. If you end up, you know, just having a, a bruise on your arm that heals, great. The company's just going to file that report away and that's, they'll move on from there. But it's much harder for you as the client, the claimant to later come back and then try to file a report. Okay, so say that a person is injured, they notify the business and they fill out an incident report and then they move on to trying to settle with the business by themselves. Is that something that you would recommend? Why or why not? Absolutely not. And I know the the public perception would be, of course you don't want them to. You're the attorney. You want to make money. No, it's because I cannot tell you how many times people have walked into my door and asked me to help them after they've tried to handle it on their own and they have given over information that they should not have given over. They have answered questions, not untruthfully or truthfully, but sometimes your word choice matters. And they've said things that are being misinterpreted by the insurance company and I can't undo what's already been done. So I'm, I never ask my clients to lie. I want them to tell the truth. But again, sometimes it's the word choices that we use that can greatly affect the way somebody perceives and receives that message. Okay. Okay. So when should a person seek medical treatment? As soon as possible. That's the general answer. But that's because a lot of people will go home and think, oh, I'm just sore because I fell. I'll give it a week or two. And they may wait two, three weeks before they seek medical treatment. That's not a good idea for several reasons. One, the longer you wait to seek medical treatment, the harder it is for the doctor to provide you the assistance to recover from the injury. Second, from a case perspective, you have created an argument for the defense that you your fall did not occur, but your injury did not occur because of the fall, but because of something else. And that also then goes into when you do seek medical treatment, make sure to tell the medical provider how the mechanism of injury occurred, what, that you fell at a store. Um, be very clear on how you injured yourself. Um, I have had scenarios in the past where clients will reference a fall and not give be specific about where and how the fall occurred, and the defense will make an argument of, well, we don't know if that was a fall at their home because there was a gap from the date of the actual fall that we're making a claim for and the time period when medical treatment was sought. The longer you get out from when the medical from the longer you get out from when the incident occurred before medical treatment is sought, the more arguments the defense will have that your fault your injury was not caused by the fall we're making a claim for. Wow. Okay. As you mentioned, a lot of times people don't take a slip and fall or a fall in general as serious. How serious are falls? Falls are very serious. You have to think as an adult, when you fall to the ground, it's not a stumble and you catch yourself. It is a traumatic fall from a standing position to the ground on a hard surface. There is nothing softening that impact or softening that blow other than your body. Oftentimes people will immediately assume, oh, I'm just sore. When really we look at some very serious back, neck, hip injuries, Uh, knee injuries that come from a fall from a standing level to a ground floor. Okay. Um, Catherine, is there anything else that you you would like to add? No. No? (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us again on The Verdict. Thank you. Visit us at carlsonattorneys.com to read more. 
We'd also love for you to leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and recommend us to your friends. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching The Carlson Law Firm. As always, if you're in need of a personal injury attorney, give us a call at 1-800-359-5690. We're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We care and we can help.